You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, it's the last day of 2017, barreling forwards to 2018. And I, I just couldn't think of anything better for us to turn our attention to today and for us to consider and for us to look at and just to stew in today than a complete, no-holds-barred, off-no-limits gospel-palooza this morning. And Colossians 1 gives us to it because I know that as you look back over 2017, as you think about this year, you probably see a lot of wins and see some excitement and also some losses and some discouragement and frustration some of which may have been self-inflicted and some was suffering and pain that you couldn't avoid. Resolutions and goals that you couldn't meet. And as our friend Jared Wilson recently said on social media, he says, in the new year, many will resolve without knowing it to keep chasing idols, to keep feeling dissatisfied and even miserable and to keep not knowing why. So how can we avoid this? As we roll into 2018, we must resolve ourselves by the grace and mercy of God to remain steadfast with our Savior, grounded with Him in the gospel of grace and the antidote to chasing our idols next year and for the rest of this year. This year's not over. You still got time. It's to exalt, to exalt and enjoy Jesus and to remain steadfast with Him. And that's where Paul takes us in Colossians 1. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word, and we'll begin in verse 15. Beginning in verse 15, our our brother Paul tells us by the Holy Spirit about Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place In everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now, He has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now 
Help us to see the power and majesty and awe of our reconciling Savior, of your Son, in whose mighty risen name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm pretty sure I made up a word this year. I'm waiting for Oxford English Dictionary to recognize it as the word of the year, but I am an avid endorsement. I still like to go outside, believe it or not. And would you believe that after making that joke about me being an endorsement this year, that week, I think, I got invited to an all-expense-paid fly fishing trip on the Bighorn River in Montana. And I went. And it was so awesome, it almost made me want to do it again. But I do love, even though I'm an endorsement, I do love going to the beach and hanging out with my family. Um, riding the waves on boogie boards, building sandcastles, sand getting in all your food, all of that fun stuff. I'm in. And there's one thing you have to do while you're in the water there. You have to keep an eye on your chairs, on your umbrella, on your ice chest filled with your lukewarm sandwiches. Like you've got to watch that stuff, not because it's going to get carried away, but because you will get carried away. Because the drag and pull of the ocean, if you don't watch your stuff, keep an eye on your stuff, you will eventually look up 10, 20, 30 minutes later and be like, oh no, we got got to walk all the way back there. And then of course, one of your kids is like, I'm too tired. Will you carry me? And I can't go. And it's like, oh gosh. All because you didn't pay attention and fight the drag of the current. Beloved, Are you fighting the drift, the drag and pull of your flesh? Are you fighting the drag and the the pull of the world against your affections and devotion to Jesus? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he is worried about the Corinthian church when he says, I am worried, I am concerned, I fear that Satan has led you astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul knows Satan cannot rip us away from Jesus, but he can can drag our sincere and pure devotion away from him if we don't fight it. So how, when you think over 2017, I don't want you to just think about your home goals and your, your work goals, your fitness goals, your hobbies. How is your life in Christ How is your life in Christ in all of those things? We do ourselves a great danger when we think in this way, when we think, okay, I have spiritual goals, I have family goals, I have work goals, I have Christian goals. That is not Christian way of thinking. As though your life in Christ has nothing to do with your work. As though your life in Christ has nothing to do with your parenting style. And as though the Holy Spirit has no say and no leadership and no power over your hobbies and your money and your entire life. Beloved, everything is meant to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So what we must ask ourselves, not only about 2017 and 2018, but our entire life, is am I making much of Jesus in my life? Is he supreme or is he just a board member of my life? 
Sometimes we think of Christianity like, okay, we have like decision-making room in our, in our heads and in our hearts that, okay, there's the work me, there's the family me, there's the financial me, there's the spiritual me, there's the Christian me. Oh, and then Jesus, come in and let's, let's make decisions about this, Jesus. Let's roundtable this. That is not, Jesus is not just a board member of our lives. To be a Christian is when Jesus comes in and he invades, he now says, everyone's fired. I'm in charge. I rule over the financial you. I empower the married you. I lead the parenting you. I lead you. Is that your life? Or are you more like verse 23? Look at verse 23. We're going to look at the whole passage, but verse 23 kind of frames the entire thing when you read it in context. Verse 23, this is Paul's kind of conclusion of this magnificent section when he says, if indeed you remain grounded, steadfast in the faith, and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel. Those words should all make us pause for a second. If, don't rob the Bible of that power, that powerful word, if. It's a big verse because some of us will not remain grounded, steadfast. Some of us have maybe drifted already. Some of us may have already shifted away from the hope of the gospel. Have you? Are you remaining grounded and steadfast with your Savior? Because Paul's concern is my concern for the Bible Belt, how easy it is to be a Christian in the Bible Belt, but yet, I'm, I'm going to rephrase it, to be a Christian in the Bible Belt and really not be that concerned about Christ, not remain steadfast with him. And I'm a prime example of that. For years, I loved doctrine. I loved Bible preaching and teaching the Bible with a passion, and I still do, but I only appreciated Jesus. I mean, I was glad he did what he did. I loved worship music. I listened to it while I was driving. I played in the youth band growing up. And, you know, I, I was glad Jesus did his thing, and now I get to do my thing. I was committed to the church. I was always there, like a good Southern Baptist kid. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school hour, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But I didn't give much thought to Jesus, even though an illuminated cross hung in the background every Sunday. I read my study Bible all the time because I didn't have any dates in high school. All I did was read my MacArthur study Bible at that point. I even taught Bible studies for our youth group but I really didn't care that much about Jesus. I had Christian friends. We didn't confess anything because we knew that'd get weird and messy and too Christian-y. So we just had spirited theological debates instead. I struggled with lust in all kinds of ways and hit it like nobody's business because I was scared and I had an image to uphold. I didn't have joy, but I had plenty of shame and condemnation to go around. Because a Jesus assumed, a Jesus forgotten, a Jesus second Christianity is not true Christianity, friends. Have you drifted in 2017? And really, I think it's one of these four ways. Either you're loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself, or you're in one of these other four categories. Maybe license was where you fell this year. License is, I can sin, 
I, he'll forgive me. Who cares? I know the Bible says don't do that, but I'm going to do it. He'll forgive me. Legalism. You just try to justify yourself and find your acceptance before God by how good of a Christian you are, how much Bible you read. You set your hope on yourself and not Jesus. You've lost sight of him. Or maybe you're lukewarm. You do the Christian thing, but you have no zeal for Jesus. You try to read the Bible. You check the boxes. You pray. You're somewhat committed to Christ. Not enough for him to change your life, though. You just want heaven. You just really don't even want heaven. You just want to avoid hell. And you come on Sundays when it's convenient. If it's not hunting season or if there's not a kid's game that morning or, you know, if you stayed up too late, man, I need to sleep in. Or maybe, maybe you're on the verge of leaving the faith altogether. You're just, you're just about ready to walk away from Jesus. Or maybe you already have. And you're just here because you're home with your parents or it's the holidays and it's Christmas season, so. Where are you today? There is a way back. Wherever you are, there is a way back. Like the prodigal son who returns home to his father and receives him gladly, Jesus will welcome you back because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And you can get to the father by him and him alone. So if you want to fight the pool and the drag on your zeal and and that heart dullness, towards Christ, you need to have your heart jolted with the shock cart of his majesty to see him and to make much of him. Because when you encounter Jesus for who he really is, not your conceptions and not the things you've seen just in movies, but the raw awesomeness of Jesus in the Bible, you'll be blown away. I mean, I, my wife and I, we love going to Rockets games and we've gone, there was one week, she went to every game that week, four games in one week. It's impressive. And I only went to, I only went to three. She beat me. And we were at one of the games, and we were just killing the Spurs. It was incredible. It was just a divine moment. And when a three goes in or when Harden crosses somebody over so bad that they felt fall over, all the Rockets fans in the arena respond automatically, either yelling when the three goes in, arms up high, or when that guy falls over because Harden just broke his ankles and embarrassed them. You know, Rockets fans look at each other and go, so good. She's so good. I hope that when you look at Colossians 1, that you turn to your spouse, your kids, your friends, and go, Jesus is so good. He is so awesome. I want you to want the high-voltage, full-strength Christ. And that's what Colossians 1 is. And I want you to see him and to exalt him and to enjoy him. You know why we exalt Jesus? Why we enjoy him? We exalt Jesus because he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We exalt Jesus because for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We exalt Jesus because he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We exalt and enjoy and center our lives on Jesus because we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. 
Death no longer has dominion over him. And we exalt Jesus because for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus. We exalt Jesus because the saying is trustworthy and deserving of all of our full acceptance this morning that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we exalt Jesus because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. We exalt Jesus because he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption for you and for me. And we worship Jesus and exalt him and enjoy him because in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And we exalt and enjoy Jesus who though existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is why we exalt Jesus. And that is why we enjoy him. Is that why you enjoy him? Is that why you exalt him? Colossians 1 gives us reason upon reason upon reason. Paul pummels us with the reasons to center our life on Christ, to enjoy Christ. And the first one is this from, the, from Colossians 1, is that Jesus is supreme. This is kind of like the heading over the entire passage, that Jesus is top dog. And if this were like a math equation, it would be, okay, verse 15 plus verse 16 plus verse 17 plus verse 18. And that would be your conclusion. Jesus is amazing. And so here's what I hope right now as we just go line by line through this amazing section is that I hope that you finally begin to have some woe mama moments with Jesus. That's all I want for you. Because I think if you have some woe mama moments with your Messiah, you'll become less insecure. If you have more woe mama moments with Jesus, you'll become less prideful, less angry, less bitter. You'll become more excited about Jesus. You'll become more excited about reading the Bible. You'll be less interested in sin and more interested in righteousness. You'll be more interested in your coworkers that don't know Christ because now you know Christ and whoa, mama, is he awesome. Verse 15, look at all the all phrases that happen here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now look at 16. Everything, everything was created by him. At the end of verse 16, all things. Verse 17, all things, two times. Verse 18, everything. Verse 19, all of God's fullness. Verse 20, everything. Do you see Paul's point? Jesus is over everything and all things are his. So Jesus is not just some humble, soft-spoken, mousy religious leader. Jesus is our Galilean and galactic emperor. And he's welcomed us to his side. And listen, if you're not a Christian today, I'm thrilled you're here. Or maybe you're just kind of somewhat interested in Christianity, trying to learn more about it. 
from the Bible, especially from this passage, I hope you'll see, it's not fair to equate Jesus with all the religions and other religious leaders as though Jesus and everyone else is the same. They're not. The Bible is saying right here that Jesus stands above them all. In fact, we're going to see Jesus created everything. This is a major piece that sets Christianity apart from all other faiths. That Jesus is God. He is the cosmic king. And he is going and has the right to judge Buddha. The right to judge Joseph Smith. The right to judge Tom Hanks. The right to judge LeBron James. And the right to judge me. There is no other Jesus. And look at this Jesus, verse 15. He is, not was. A lot of us think Jesus in terms of was. No, he is right now the image of the invisible God. It's an awesome sentence. He images what is invisible. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. That's how you know what God is like. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's not a phrase to get hung up on, firstborn. That does not mean Jesus was created like Jehovah's Witnesses and a lot of cults teach. A lot of cults would not exist if they would just keep reading. Because if if you ever think something weird about the Bible, like, can that be true? Keep reading. The Bible will correct you. The Bible will fix your silly thoughts that we have. The firstborn over all creation means he's the heir. Jesus is the heir of the universe. We know that this, mean, this doesn't mean he's created because we're going to see in a second. It says, by him, all things were created. You can't create yourself. He's eternal. Jesus is the heir of the universe. All things are his. All things belong to him. Nebula galaxies, cat's eye galaxies, black hole number 4928B, it's his. It all belongs to him. And Jesus created the universe. Look at verse 16. For everything Just think about that. Sometimes we read the Bible so quickly, we don't even really think about what the words mean. For everything was created by him. Jesus made them all. Things we can't see, things in heaven, things on earth. That means things up in the far reaches of the universe, in heaven, things on terra firma, the earth. Jesus made them all. Scientists, listen, scientists estimate that 25 million stars are born every day. They say it's probably more, but that's just a conservative guess for us because there's so many galaxies, we just can't calculate them all. So 25 million is a good number. That's just another day in the office for Jesus. What'd you do in 2017? (laughs) Jesus is the creator of the universe. Paul even goes to another level. Look what he says in the middle of 16. Whether thrones or dominions. Whether, what does he mean? Okay, so... Because these things, thrones, dominions, rules, or authorities, this is the spiritual realm. Angels, demons. God made them as angels. They fell into sin and rebellion. But why does Paul bring this up here? Because Satan and Jesus are not equals. We do not live in a dualistic universe where there's good and bad and they're duking it out and hopefully good's going to win in the end. That is dualism. We don't live in that kind of universe. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus and Satan are basically half-brothers and they're kind of duking it out. No. Paul is saying here, no, Jesus, he is over Satan. He is over all spiritual realms. Thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, Jesus is Lord over them. The Lord of your soul is also Lord over the demons. That's why the demons shudder at him and they cry and stick their scaly tail between their legs and say, is today the day? Have you come to destroy us today? They're terrified of him. 
because Jesus is the creator of the universe. Are you having any woe mama moments yet? Maybe next. Verse, end of verse 16. All things have been created through him. We don't even have time to unpack all that. We're gonna look at this one. And for him. For him. Just think about those four words. All things for him, for Jesus. Jupiter exists for Jesus. It's incredible. Mars exists for Jesus. Fainting goats. Have you seen these things? <laughs> Why? They're for Jesus. African elephants, volcanoes, the aurora borealis. It's all his. He made it all for himself. And he lets us enjoy it. You know, ever notice how the Bible brings up grains of sand a lot? You ever notice that? It tells Abraham, be like sand on the seashore. Be like sand on the seashore, sand on the seashore. Up until recently, the past few years, we've now we're able to amplify individual grains of sand and see what they look like. Have you ever seen this? Jesus made these. These are individual grains of sand. And now we're just being able to see it. And this is like in the first, this is the best part of the sermon. I can tell by all your faces. It's God's creation. Of course it is. And Jesus, he's known this all along. Designed them individually. Made them. And now we get to see them. Look how, they're all so unique. And when we're stepping on sand and flicking them off of our lunch meat, We're shooting these little things across the sky. Jesus made them all. There is not a nook or cranny in the universe that does not belong to Jesus. You know, we used to play this game in the truck with our, with our kids, with, with Ivy, when she was about three or four. We'd be driving around. Instead of playing I Spy, which is a great game too, we go, Jesus created, and we have to say something we see. She'd be like, hey, Jesus created the trees. i go, good job, Ivy. I mean, Jesus created the bushes. That's right. Jesus created the grass. Good job. Jesus created the target. Good enough. Good enough. He made the people. He made the materials, made the building. He gave people the ideas for products. And Yep, yep, fabrics. Jesus made it all. And it's a great time to worship and enjoy Jesus. And not only does her soul need that game, I need that. Because how easy is it to go about our lives and live practically like we're atheists? And just take trees for granted. Take sunlight for granted. Take all these things as though Jesus isn't still personally involved in sustaining everything. And then now I've heard my son and my daughter talking together. And she teaching him, Oliver, who made the trees? I did. No, Oliver. (laughs) Jesus did. Jesus. Who Who made the stars? Jesus. Who made the grass? Jesus. Jesus did, right, buddy? That's right. Because you know what else? Paul adds another whoa mama moment. Look at verse 17. He is before all things. He existed before all of them. And by him, all things hold together. So not only did Jesus create the universe, he's the heir of the universe, Jesus sustains it. The only reason the universe hasn't imploded on itself is because of Jesus. 
The reason your Bible is still together, the glue that's holding it, the binding, the sewing, is not because the publisher used really high-grade glue or, or did a good job. Glue never just does its thing. Nothing ever just does its thing. Everything does its thing because Jesus is doing his thing. I remember R.C. Sproul, who, who went on into glory this, this, I think this month, just a few weeks ago. I remember him teaching one time, and he took his watch off, and he threw it up, and it crashed onto the pulpit. And he said, why did my watch fall down? And, you know, of course, gravity, gravity. He goes, no. And the great, raspy, gravelly voice he had said, Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who's at work in gravity. Gravity is not just something. It is Christ at work. He holds all things together. He sustains everything. Look at verse 18. Where do, you, where do you think Paul goes next? He's talking about these cosmic rules of the universe, everything. What's next, Paul? What's next? Verse 18. He is also the head of the body of the church. How amazing do you think and how important the church is to Paul? How important the church is to Jesus? From this sweeping cosmic realm to the church. Jesus is in charge of the church. Jesus loves the church. Whether we're in Tomball or Dubai or in Australia, Jesus is the head of every local church and of the universal global church. It's all his. He has the ultimate authority. He is the boss. He is the true senior pastor because he bought us with his bloody death on the cross and because he rose from the dead. Verse 18, he is also the firstborn from the dead. What does firstborn from the dead mean? Well, first it means that, yes, he died, but three days later he rose again from the dead. Amen? And we worship a risen Christ. Amen? And he's alive and well, the first one to rise, firstborn, first one to rise from the dead and not die again. Jesus is alive in heaven right now, alive and well, interceding for you, mediating for you, praying on your behalf. And when it says he's the firstborn from the dead, it means you and I are in utero. You and I are waiting to be the secondborn from the dead. We are waiting for his return when the Gabriel will dust off that trumpet, give it a one nice two little blue light jazz kind of riff, something kind of blue jazz. The sky will peel open, the Lord will descend, and all the dead in Christ will rise. Secondborn from the dead. And he did all of this for us. And all this is possible, not because Jesus is just a great teacher, and not just because Jesus was zapped by God as a man and now he had all these powers. It's because, as verse 19 says, Jesus is fully God. Look at verse 19. Another woe mama, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All of the power that is the eternal God's is in Jesus because he is the eternal God. Jesus is the eternal son of God. He's always been God. And all of God's godness was in Jesus while he was walking on earth from his birth to his death. And in his resurrection, he is still fully God. He never lost his godness. He's not part-time God. He's not a Padawan of God. He is God. And you know what this should make us see? Look at the end of verse 18. So that he might come to have first place in everything. 
First place. Your Bible might say preeminent. Same thing. First place. Top seed. First chair. Alpha. Champion. That's why I love that song that we sing, that he has no rival. He has no equal. There is no one else. There is no human like Jesus. There is no religious teacher like Jesus who is the heir of the universe, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, the head of the church who rose from the dead, who's fully God. He is supreme. So, and what's amazing about this is that all of this about Jesus is yours. This is your Jesus. And the Bible says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It comes from Jesus. 2017, I'm sure for many of us, brought some pain, some struggles. Where do you go for help? Where are you tempted to go for help? To Google, to friends first, to books first. Turn your gaze to the one who is the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, the heir of the universe, fully God, firstborn from the dead, who's on your side, who says, your help comes from me. Pray to me, look to me. I'm your friend. I call you brother, sister. Go to him because also, this is the last point, Jesus is our reconciling Savior. Look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Think about that sweep. He's reconciling everything to himself. Creation's going to be made new. Mountains are going to be made new. Fainting goats are going to be reconciled. Maybe that's why they're fainting. They need Jesus. And when we're adopted in our glorified bodies, the Bible says creation made new. New heavens, new earth, new mountains, new goats, new stars. All by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's all possible by his death. His death is the central truth of our entire lives, his death and resurrection. That's why the cross has been the church's logo for 2,000-ish years now. It all happens by the cross. And look at where Paul goes now, verse 21. Once you, he goes from galaxies, creation, the church, and now you. You gotta feel the personal inviting in here, in you, speaking right to us. You were once alienated, hostile in your minds, expressing your evil actions. You too were once apart from God, committing evil deeds, evil actions. And maybe this still is your life. But if you are a Christian, you gotta catch the tense. Once, not anymore. If you are in Christ, you are no longer alienated and hostile to God. This is your past. It is not your present. Now, We worship and enjoy him, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. Jesus gives you a new identity, friend. 2017 does not define you. 2018 does not define you. And anything that happens in your life, apart from the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, it does not define you. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body, through his death. You are made new by Christ right now. Now. Not by 
accomplishing something in 2018. Now, by faith alone in Christ alone, you've been reconciled to God by the death of Christ, by him dying in your place for your sins and him rising from the dead. And now everything is reconciled between you and God. Is that your reality? And if that is, rejoice. If it's not, you can believe today and look what will happen to you. Why did Jesus do this? Look at the end of verse 22. To present you holy and faultless and blameless before him. Jesus is changing you. He is going to present you. This is a promise. He is going to present you holy before him, blameless before him. Those sins that you just thought, I thought I was going to be past this in 2017. Jesus is still working on you. You know, we like to operate in years, semesters. One, one year is nothing. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day to the Lord. You can bank your life on the changing power of Christ. He's at work in you. And he is going to present you holy, faultless, and blameless. And look at where you're headed. Verse 22. Before him, right, your future is him. Jesus is bringing you right into his presence. Heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. And he is bringing you to present you holy, faultless, blameless before him, right in his presence. That's where you are headed if, 23, if indeed you remain grounded, steadfast, if you remain. So does this verse mean you can lose your salvation? No. Once saved, always saved is a real thing. But listen to me. The Bible doesn't teach once professed, always protected. A lot of people say they're Christians. Oh, yeah, I'm Christian. But they don't follow Jesus. They don't obey Jesus. They don't confess sin. They don't repent. They don't adore him. They don't love him, follow him. Those people should not have any confidence that they will be presented holy, faultless, blameless before him. The people who will remain steadfast are the ones who really do believe. How do you know if you really do believe? If you remain steadfast, grounded, not shifting away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So if you've shifted, does it mean you're stuck? It's over? No, because you're still alive. God is still giving you time. Return to me. Come to me. Exalt me. I'm the reconciling Savior. Beloved, make much of him in 2018 and for billions of years to come. Did you notice this, the, the progression of the, of the first placeness of Christ here? It starts with he's supreme, he's first over the universe, and that's easy. And also, listen, the progression here of his authority is also kind of a progression in difficulty to affirm. It's, it's easy to go, he's first over the universe? Oh, awesome, yes, amen. He's first over the church, amen, hallelujah. He's first over me. Oh. See, it gets more difficult to affirm as we get closer to ground level. Is he first in your life? Is that true? If not, repent, turn, and trust Christ. If you aren't a Christian, Jesus can save you. That's what he came to do. He came to save sinners that you might be saved through him. 
And if you are a Christian, don't shift. And if, if you felt that, that slow pull, if you haven't totally gone, come back. Don't let your zeal be robbed. Fight that pool like you're in the ocean. And come back to Christ. Jesus has never turned anyone away that really wants him. Ever. Come to him. All who labor. All who are worn out. All who are beaten down by 2017. And who think 2018 is going to be any better. Come to him. And he will give you rest. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you will find rest for your souls. By exalting and enjoying him forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are incredible. You are the great Savior. You are our great God and Savior. So Lord, would you, would you help us? Help us to fight the drag of the world, to fight the pull of our flesh, and to, and to fight the slow crawl the slow-crawling nature of our hearts that can grow dull. But to see your glory and see your amazingness and see your awesomeness again for us, that we would turn to you as our help comes from the Lord, the creator of the universe, sustainer of the universe, our reconciling Savior who died for our sins and rose again from the dead and is going to present us holy, faultless, and blameless before him in glory. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. If you're serving the Lord's Supper today, or you're in the band, I invite you to come forward at this time. As we go to the Lord's table, we do this every single week in remembrance of him. Now, one thing we have to remember about remembering is that remembering in the scriptures isn't just about jogging our memories. It's a, it's a belief that leads to action. So we remember his promises and live in according to his promises. So we remember the Lord's Supper, we remember him, and we're remembering he is first. And we respond accordingly. When we hold that bread, we're remembering Christ's body, our reconciling Savior, who shed his blood on the cross and is going to present me holy, faultless, and blameless before him and his physical body, as Paul says. That's what we remember. And we remember he is first. My whole life is in Christ. And as we hold that cup, we remember his blood that was shed on the cross so that we can be reconciled, that the creator, the sustainer, and the heir of the universe had his body nailed to a tree and blood shed so that we could be saved. And we live accordingly. We remain grounded, steadfast in the faith. As you eat and drink, what we're really doing is we are eating anchors for our souls so we would remain grounded and steadfast with Christ, his body and his blood. If you're not a Christian today, I'm thrilled you're here and you were able to hear who Jesus is and, and what Christianity is about. But this bread and this cup is only for those who know Jesus is my Savior. So if Jesus is not your Savior, this is not for you. Just let it go by. But why not ask him to save you? Why not ask Jesus to save you from your sins? And he definitely will. And if you are a Christian, let's rejoice. And let's remember. Let's remember our Savior. 
Let's enjoy him. Let's exalt him as we eat. Let's exalt him as we drink. Let's exalt him as we sing. For he is good. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.